You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm bro- broadcasting this program, Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you've got any complaints, send them to the producer, Kelly, care of 3CR. Don't send them to me, okay? That's what I've got a producer for. Well, I think I've got a producer sometimes. (laughs) Other times I wonder. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, anarchos without rulers. Very simple concept. Even I can understand it. If I can understand it, you can understand it. So what gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people, as we've seen on the planet today, as the USA and Russia, you know, and China get ready for war? Well, what is it? Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, and to hold wealth in common. Very simple concepts. So if you're involved in these struggles, whether you describe yourself as an anarchist, a community activist, whatever, if you're involved in the struggle to devolve power and share wealth, you are an anarchist. Now, obviously, many people who call themselves socialists and communists and capitalists, they're all, on capitalism, you know, is about not sharing wealth. Communism, socialism, as we've seen it practice, is about the centralisation of power and a central authority. So anarchism is different. It's the devolution of power, the sharing of power and the sharing of wealth to break down hierarchies to ensure that small groups of people can't make decisions that affect the lives profoundly, as we've seen today, of billions of people. Do the right thing. It's interesting how they must all sing from the same song sheet. I've noticed both state and federal politicians, premiers and prime ministers over the last week saying, do the right thing. And it reminds me of those ads where you get some you know, bikini clad or some bloke and budgie smugglers putting litter in a rubbish tin on the beach, you know, from the 80s. Do the right thing. Pick up the litter. Put it in the bin. But what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about a concept, which is foreign to you and me, called corporate responsibility. Now, 
I may be a bit slow. Well, I am slow, obviously, or I wouldn't be doing the anarchist world this week. But corporate responsibility. Now, capitalist society, as you know, is based on the concept of private investment for private profit. Corporations are large congregations of uh, capitalists within a one bureaucratic framework. That's what a corporation is. It, it has a monopoly or a duopoly or triopoly, whatever you like to call it, on certain activities in society. And, we, and, and the federal ministers and state ministers and premiers and the prime minister talk about do the right thing. They're asking the corporate world to do the right thing. And two examples that I've come across in the last week, quite interesting. One is the gas fiasco that we have currently, which obviously is a direct result of government policy, which allowed these gas corporations to sell off this country's gas without actually making any allowances for local consumption on the industrial and uh, personal level. And they're saying, well, let's see if the corporate world will do the right thing. And I'm thinking to myself, why would corporations do the right thing? They have a legally binding contract. And their responsibility, a corporation's responsibility, unlike a government's responsibility, is not to the country. Because many of the corporations which are based here send most of their profits overseas. It's not to the Australian country or the Australian people. A corporation's responsibility is to their major shareholders and their major mantra in life is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of human, social, environmental, personal, national costs. It's a little bit like the fiasco we had during the Morrison uh, years when 18 billion, that's B, 18 billion dollars went into the pockets of Australian corporations who didn't need it, who actually made an increased profits during the, co the height of the COVID-19 pandemic when there were no vaccinations or antivirals available for people. And the government said at that stage, the corporate sector will do the right thing. But they refused to actually name and shame those corporations which had pocketed that $18 billion. And now we have the same garbage. So who's making decisions? Who's making the decisions in our society? Is it corporations whose major responsibility is to their shareholders? Or, or is it governments at the state and federal level whose theoretically whose responsibility is to look after the people they represent through the parliamentary um, elections? Whose responsibility is it? And when a government says to a corporation, do the right thing, does that mean they have no legislative mechanism via which 
to control these corporations who've become too big to fail because they have control over essential services and commodities in this country. Because if you and I did the wrong thing, we'd be facing charges or fines. We'd be in court because we've done the wrong thing. But if they refuse to do the wrong, right thing for the nation and the Australian people because it's, uh, it doesn't fit their corporate mantra of making increasing profits for their major shareholders, well then, why would they do the right thing? And if governments have so much power, we are told, why don't the governments do the right thing on behalf of the Australian people to ensure that basic necessities like gas are available to people? Think about it. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. It's interesting. You do the right thing. You pick up the litter from the from the beach, put it in the tin, put it in the bin. But do we expect the corporate world to do the right thing as far as this country is concerned? Obviously not. That is not their role. The role of government should be to be able to put legislation in place which ensures that they do do the right thing and pay their fair share of taxation, which is something we don't see and which we will never see under the type of system we have today. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. Left behind. Do you feel left behind? Now... Interest rates are going up and they're going up rapidly and inflation is going up. And we're told that the whole point of increasing interest rates is to dampen inflation. But unfortunately, the Reserve Bank once again has got it wrong and they continue to get it wrong because obviously obviously they're not reading from the same songbook that you and I are reading from. Because is inflation due to the fact that we're out there spending, 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 spending? Or is inflation due to the fact that certain commodities are now scarce? And in a capitalist society, if a commodity is scarce, prices go up. You pay $14 a kilo for your zucchini, or you don't actually buy zucchinis or capsicums or tomatoes anymore. You get them out of a tin. You know, we're supposed to cry tears for these large corporations. Now, I just heard in the last 24 hours that all the energy uh, corporations, petrol, gas, are making extraordinarily high profits from the current shortage of these commodities. So they're not being left behind. They're actually making hay during this period. So who's been left behind? Who are the main people who suffer because of increasing interest rates and inflation? Well, it's those people on fixed incomes and those people on low incomes. 
If you've got the disposable income, you'll pay $14 for zucchinis if you like zucchinis, or $9 for your, for your, for your lettuce, your iceberg lettuce. It doesn't really make much difference to your lifestyle. But if you're in a fixed income, a social security benefit, and remember all our social security benefits are less than $1,000 a fortnight, well, increasing prices, especially for basic commodities, does have a profound impact. Because concepts like energy, food security, are being threatened. So once again, it's these people, this one-third of Australians who are carrying the can. But it's more than that. At least people on benefits of some type have concession cards. And these concession cards can give you a concession for various goods and services. But think of all those millions of people who earn less than, say, $1,200 a week. And there are many. People in retail, people in aged care, people in cleaning, people in contracts, people working for the virtual platforms or slaving for the virtual platforms. Now, they don't have concession cards. So inflation and increase in interest rates, especially if they've got a mortgage or a loan of some type, has a profound impact on their lives. So these are the people that are consistently, and I assume it's most of the listeners to this program, who are consistently left behind in a private investment for private profit world. They're left behind. And in this country, there are no price controls as far as essential goods and services are concerned. We've seen a little bit of subsidy for petrol, but that's about it. There's nothing there to assist people with food security, which means more and more people have to rely on private charities in order to get a a decent amount of food in their bellies, in their children's bellies. So when we talk about increasing interest rates and inflation, it's not the big end of town. It's not the investment class. It's not people who have quite reasonable wages. It's all those people on Social Security benefits and those millions who earn less than $1,200 a week, especially that group that earns less than $1,200 a week because they're not entitled to any concession. You can have a medical issue. You haven't got a concession card. You go into a pharmacy. You may need three or four medications to continue to, you know, breathe, diabetic medications, blood pressure medications, asthma medications. If, you are on a, if you're on some type of a, a pension, you get concessions for your medications. But if you're a low wage earner, there's no concessions. So you could find that 10% of your income is going just towards meeting your medical costs. Although... They are partly subsidised by the government in terms of pharmaceuticals, but we'll talk about that later on. So think about who's left behind when we see the Reserve Bank talk about 
this and that and this and that and make mistake after mistake after mistake. You're listening to the Anarchist Wall this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, Australia, uh, Australia's radical radio station. Now, energy security seems to be on the lips of everybody today. And I've been thinking about it. And the latest YouTube I've done, which will be up sometime next week, is about energy security. And when you think about it, energy is fundamental to the type of society we have today. We don't congregate around fires and communally cook our food anymore. We're all individualised and privatised. And energy is exceptionally important. If the power goes out, it's not only the lights that go out, it's your heating that goes out, it's the bowsers of the petrol station which go out, it's the automatic telemachines which go out, it's your internet which goes out after a little while, once your battery runs out, and your electric car can't function. And all those famous missiles sitting around, you know, ready to kill people. Well, at least that's one thing, won't be able to be fired. Obviously, they'll have backup energy sources. I keep forgetting about that. So energy is fundamental to a 21st century society, especially a society which is based on mega metropolises, cities of over a million. And we'll find that in the next few years, over 70% of the world's population, about about 5.5, 6 billion, will be living in cities which are totally dependent on an energy source. Now, obviously, on top of that, we've got the issue of the climate emergency, which has been created by us over the last two centuries using fossil fuels to promote a private investment for private profit world. So what are the solutions which have been talked about? Well, I've spoken about before, green capitalism, huge solar farms, huge wind farms, and the list goes on and on. Well, obviously, sooner or later, irrespective of the power the coal industry is able to exercise and the fact that they can actually blackmail governments because we find ourselves in Australia because of the last... 10 years of nothing happening because most people in the um, government didn't believe that climate emergency was a climate emergency, let alone increasing greenhouse emissions existed. We find ourselves in this situation. So what is a way of ensuring energy security, especially in a period of heightened conflict? And that's what we're entering And we'll talk about that later, well, I'll talk about that later on, a period of heightened conflict between nation-states. So why not? Now, I know this isn't a radical idea. (laughs) Why not build, and we see it now with panels on roofs of private houses which are privately owned, why don't we, through the cities and regional towns, build publicly owned 
local solar installations to ensure energy security. And these local solar installations could actually pump energy into the grid. And the grid could actually be localised, not centralised. So we wouldn't be at the behest of privately owned corporations as far as energy security is concerned. I mean, you could build these on top of parks. You can put up, you can put these things anywhere. On a corner of a street, elevated. On top of buildings. But publicly owned. Publicly owned, decentralised systems. And although there are a number of small communities around the country which are trying to establish their own publicly owned or community owned energy generation systems, installations, in order to ensure energy security, we are seeing government roadblocks in terms of legislation being put in place to prevent these local communities from establishing these installations at the same time there is no public money going towards it because they want us to continue down the private investment for private profit pathway, whether it's green energy or whether it's fossil fuel. Ultimately, it's about private investment for private profit. 28th of November, here we come. Now, I know people listening to this program outside of Victoria will find the next segment a little bit boring, but you can do the same thing where you live. Now, on the 28th of November 2022, there'll be an election in Victoria to elect a state government. Now, I've canvassed the idea, and I'll be canvassing this idea over the next few weeks in August to see if there's any support out there in the community uh, about standing as an independent candidate in the seat of Mulgrave in Melbourne, which is the seat of the Victorian Premier, Mr Daniel Andrews. Now, why? Because they don't care. For four years we've been standing in the steps of Parliament House asking for reforms as far as public housing is concerned. Nothing has eventuated, although the pressure we put on the Victorian Labor Party at the last state election in 2018 forced them to promise to build a 1,000 new public housing units and houses. They haven't built one. It's all been privatised. If you live in Melbourne, just go through, buy the uh, Merry Creek development, prime inner city real estate, private public partnership, 10% public, 90% private in 30 years' time. It all reverts back to the private provider. So you can march till your feet are sore. They don't give a shit. They do care if you drop into their party uninvited. In their party is the state election. Now, obviously, they've got unlimited finance, unlimited publicity, and the Liberal National... Well, what's left of the Liberal Party in Victoria and what's left of the ALP in Victoria will battle it out to become the next government, state government. And I'm told ad nauseum, oh, you shouldn't sit against Daniel Andrews because it may mean that the Liberal Party will get into power. 
Now, this Labor government that we've had in Victoria has been bitterly, bitterly disappointed, disappointing, bitterly. And I've been involved, you know, in healthcare for almost five, fifty years, half a century. Makes me seem old. And I have never seen such a pathetic situation, not just in terms of COVID-19, but before COVID-19. And this situation is now compounded by the fact that we don't actually have any publicly owned pharmaceutical companies in this country to produce essential, non-copyright, generic medications. That's another story. So what we've had in Victoria, and I assume in other parts of Australia, which I'm not that familiar with, is a construction blitz. Anywhere you go in Melbourne and the outer environment, not that much in regional areas, there are publicly funded construction, gold-plated construction. Now, these construction blitzes provide infrastructure, And this infrastructure is all about construction for construction's sake, growth for growth's sake. It has nothing to do with the satisfaction of a basic human needs. And that's why I'm bitterly disappointed. I mean, this Labor Party has privatised and continues to privatise anything that is publicly owned. Public housing, the Port of Melbourne, the Titles Office, Vic Roads. I understand they had uh, the Transport Accident Commission on the agenda but decided not to go ahead before the election. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Obviously, they didn't learn the lessons of the privatisation of energy in Victoria, which has made us very vulnerable as far as energy security is concerned. So what are the things I'm interested in? And the reason I'm doing it as an individual is because public interest before corporate interest, which is an organisation which I helped establish four or five years ago, hasn't got the necessary numbers to register as a federal political party. So do we allow the state election to just go by without put an input? Now, obviously, I'm not going to be elected, but... There is a time when you need to stand up. It's not enough to shrug your shoulders and say, what can you do? You can't fight City Hall. Or I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too broke, I'm too poor, I'm too bored, I'm too listless, I'm too cynical, I'm an armchair revolutionary. The fact is, this is an excellent period by which to put forward Ideas and the, and the slogan is very simple, very simple. Satif- satisfy basic human needs before the current construction blitz, and these basic human needs are summarised in six words. Well, more than six words, but six principles: food security, energy security. Healthcare, education, housing, recreation. 
What's the point of a construction blitz where billions of dollars of public money and billions of dollars of debt are racked up, like $90 billion to build an underground you know, rail loop, when there are issues regarding food security in the state of Victoria and the rest of Australia? There are issues, major issues, especially with increasing interest rates and increasing rates regarding housing. There are issues regarding health care. There are issues regarding access to public education. And there are issues to the fact that some people never get a break in their lives because they don't have the disposable income at their fingertips to, you know, have that little holiday down at the coast or somewhere else. So these are the ideas I'm canvassing. Now, in order to be able to stand in the election, the electorate of Mulgrave, which I know you're not that, you know, you may not be familiar with. It stretches from Ferntree Gully Road in the north, Heatherton Road in the south, the southeastern three-way and Daddynon Creek in the east, and Westall Road in the uh, in the west. It's a little area of about twenty-five to thirty thousand homes, about fifty thousand, sixty thousand people. The thing is, why in the in the premier's electorate? Because the premier has been the driving force behind this privatisation agenda, although it's provided jobs for the construction industry and massive profits for many of the corporations which are involved in these gold-plated constructions. And when I say gold-plated, what it means is that excess money is poured into a structure in order to maximise return to the company which is uh, making that structure. The fact is that as far as food security, energy security, access to public health, access to public housing, recreation is concerned, educate, public education is concerned, it's not happening. So, if you do live in this electorate, I'm very keen to meet you. I'm happy to ha- um, have a chat, happy to come to your place, meet you for a coffee somewhere. Explain the campaign because I need people in the electorate to nominate me in order to stand. At the same time, I'm interested in meeting people who are interested, who may not live in the electorate, who are interested in this particular campaign, who wish to be able to assist in the campaign, whether it's financially or physically. It doesn't really matter. It's about assisting. And again, it's about changing the agenda changing the agenda, not just in Victoria but the rest of Australia, from one based on construction for construction's sake, growth for growth's sake, to one based on the satisfaction of basic human needs. You listen to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, if you are interested and you do live in Victoria, I'm holding a series of just private meetings. They're not public meetings, you know, just turn up. Uh, today, that's Wednesday the 3rd of August from midday to 2pm outside the Springvale um, railway station on the southern side nice seats and palm trees you can sit in the cold under I was there last night, it was bloody cold but a few people turned up, which was good and I'll be repeating the exercise next Tuesday which is the 9th from 7 to 8pm for people who you know who are working and like to be involved in the campaign. And next Wednesday, again, that's the 10th of August from midday to 2pm and then the following week. And then after that, we'll make up our mind 
whether there's enough support for such a campaign. Look, I'm not going to cry if there isn't, but at least I can say I tried. Because if there is one time they are vulnerable, especially when you don't have mass support in the community, because most people don't even have any access to these ideas or even think of these ideas, it's during an election period. It's not about being elected. It's about ideas. And I'd like to make it very clear, very clear on this program. I've had four COVID-19 injections and I'm still alive. He says laughing. I'm, uh, I supported mandates when there were no vaccines or antivirals and I still support mandates in the aged care sector and the healthcare sector because we need to do what we can to actually stop people from dying. I mean, a few days ago, we had 61 deaths in Victoria alone from COVID-19. So it hasn't gone away, and there will be variations. And I'm not interested in conspiracy theories. So if you want to peddle your conspiracy theories, I'm not interested. And I'm not interested in rumours and innuendos. I'm interested in facts, ideas, policies. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Pharmaceutical mayhem. As I mentioned before, we have no pharmaceutical companies left in Australia and no publicly owned pharmaceutical companies. And currently, we are seeing a shortage of very basic medications, things like children's Panadol, children's ibuprofen. And it's important that children have access to this because if they've got a high temperature, they can have a fit, have, 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 have convulsions and even brain damage and death. And we find ourselves in this sub-third world situation. And there are many common medications which are no longer available. And the federal government has been forced to sign this one-sided contract of privately owned pharmaceutical companies to provide many much-needed essential drugs. Because the pharmaceutical industry is just like any other industry, but a little bit more greedy. It's very simple. You use research which has been funded by the community which comes out out of universities. You use this research. You don't pay for this research. You then use this basic research to create a new medication. And this new medication means that you have intellectual property rights for 25 years. That means you are the only company in the world that can actually produce this medicine. And because it's a monopoly for 25 years, what that means is you charge whatever price you like. Now, I know there are antivirals now currently available, two. One's much better than the other as far as COVID-19 is concerned. Now, you may pay... uh, $10 whatever if you're on a concession and you're $45 if you're not on a concession. But the fact is that these medications are subsidised by the federal government, which means you, the taxpayer. 
And the current price which has been charged by these pharmaceutical companies is $1,100 per course. Hmm? Now it gets better than that. At the end of 25 years, when your copyright or intellectual copyright disappears and you stop manufacturing that drug because anybody in the world then has the right to manufacture that drug, okay? Anybody in the world has the right to manufacture that drug. But the dilemma is that in Australia, because there's no, pharm- there's no publicly owned pharmaceutical companies, we rely totally on the private sector. And in order to get a private company to produce generic medications for which there is a minimal profit for them, you need to provide government money to those private corporations to provide those essential medications to you. Now, it may sound very complex, but it's very simple. It's about making a buck. It's about making a buck at the expense of everybody else. Because let's not forget that every medication which is covered by intellectual property rights, the prices are exorbitant. And the federal government has been forced over the years to subsidise these medicines for the Australian people. And a subsidy is paid by the taxpayer, you and me. Now, if we had a public... If our public institutions, our public universities had arrangements with publicly funded pharmaceutical companies, we could and we would produce our own medications, not just generic medications, but new medications for a whole range of changing disease and viruses in the world today. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Archie Roach. Now, I'm sure most listeners would have heard of Archie Roach, but I don't think a lot of people would really have known much about Archie in the 1980s when he was getting his life together and him and Ruby Hunter were starting to become known. Now, I'm proud to report here on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne that the late Gilla McGuinness, who ran a... uh, First Nations man who died in January 2018 was the first person in this country, this was the first radio station in this country, that's 3CR where I'm broadcasting now, to bring in Archie Roach, when he was ignored by everybody, into the studios in 1986, where he's saying they took the children away. Now, I've been aware of this song before that. I'd actually heard it before in Ballarat, a year or two previously. And it wasn't until 1989 when uh, Mr Kelly 
organised for Archie to uh, play at a do that uh, he began his ascent. And if you think I'm talking through my ears or nose, I was privileged enough to be able to go to uh, Gilla McGuinness's funeral in 2018. And Archie Roach was there as one of the main speakers at Gilla's funeral. And he publicly acknowledged that his career as a truth-teller, songwriter, began with that interaction with Gilla McGuinness on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. And he'd give everything, he said he'd give everything away, all the fame, all the fortune, if he could bring Gilla back to life again. And he meant it. The difference between Archie Roach and most entertainers we see today in Australia and overseas, Archie had both substance and style. He had substance based on real-life experience. And he was able to craft that real-life experience in a way that touched people's heart. This wasn't about some, you know, prefabricated, money-grabbing entry into the world. This was about substance. It wasn't just about truth-telling. And a lot of people say he was a, he spoke truth to power. He didn't just speak truth to power. Archie wanted, and Ruby, they wanted change. They didn't want their children and their children's children and your children and my children to find themselves in that same situation year after year, decade after decade, century after century. Substance and style. That was Archie's contribution. And I'm proud, and I've been involved in 3CR since 1977, I'm proud to acknowledge Gillam McGuinness and the role that Community Radio Station and Community Radio played in the development of Archie Roach's career and his impact on the Australian people. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a song, like they, they took the children away, is worth a hundred thousand words. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, brought across, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. <sighs> From that to next, I mean, you know, it's an amazing program, isn't it? The Anarchist World this week, the way we chop and change, you know. <sighs> Queen Lizzie Trump's God. Did you know that? Queen Lizzie Trump's God. I was a little bit, uh, what's the word? Not delighted, but, uh, oh, I was delighted to see the antics of Senator Lydia Forp in uh, in the Senate when she was asked to uh, 
acknowledge and uh, pledge allegiance to Queen Lizzie and her offspring, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm. Now, poor old Lydia, if she didn't, she didn't do the, um, the um, what is it, the oath of allegiance to Queen Lizzie, well, then she wouldn't be a senator. It's that simple. It's in the Constitution, I'm sorry to say. So eventually poor old Lydia had to, you know, read out the words. She may have choked on them, but she read out the words in order to remain a, as a Green Senator in the Senate, and good, good luck to her. But I think it highlights a very important point. Now, when I stood in the Senate election a few months ago, not because, just because I wanted to cause a little bit of mischief at that stage, unlike the campaign here in Victoria where I want to cause a little bit of a ruckus, not just mischief. I had to fill out this stupid form, you know. I mean, I've stood for elections before and I used to fill out, you know, a few words and that was it. Bingo, you can go. And there's this stupid form because of Section 44 of the Australian Constitution which the High Court upheld in a black-letter judgment, which what that means is they did a literal interpretation. It's a little bit like reading the Bible and saying the earth was created in seven days. Literal interpretation. They did a literal interpretation of Section 44, which basically means that if you have allegiance or potential, and that's the key, potential allegiance to another foreign power, you cannot stand for election in this country. And that excludes about what, 70% of the Australian population because 50% of parents that have born overseas? Now, in my case, I had to put down, you know, where my parents were born, fair enough, where my grandparents were born and even possibly great-grandparents. And I had to answer all these bloody questions. And why? Because maybe, just maybe, I had a right which I knew nothing about, although I was born in this country seven decades ago, to acquire the citizenship of another country. And we saw a number of people lose their political office over the last decade because of this convoluted thinking. All right? So you can be born in this country, but you, if, you, if your parents are English, it's okay. But if your parents come from somewhere else, you may have some likelihood of applying or having citizenship of a foreign country. Now, unfortunately, fortunately in my case, poor old Senator Kavanagh, his mum and dad filled out the form for him to become an Italian citizen, and he was a little kiddie, and obviously he didn't sign it himself. So the High Court found that he could stay in the Senate. Because as far as the Italian government is concerned, unless you apply, directly apply for citizenship, you have no, no rights or privileges. The only right or privilege you have is the right to apply. But other countries give you automatic citizenship. And I thought one of the most pathetic cases was poor old Josh Frydenberg, and I hope he's happy at Golden Sachs. Poor old Josh... They tried to take him to the High Court because his parents came from Hungary. Half his bloody family was killed by the Nazis. And because it just, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. But Queen Lizzie, who is a foreign monarch, 
trumps God. Because, as an atheist, I can affirm an oath. I don't have to put my hand on the Bible or the Quran or, or you know, the Hindu scriptures or Maggie's whatever, you know. I don't have to do that. I can affirm. But if you are an elected member of parliament, you have to affirm allegiance to Queen Lizzie and her descendants, a foreign monarch. But the fact is, she's not a foreign monarch. Irrespective of what people tell you, she's your queen, boys and girls. And if you don't swear allegiance to her and her motley family, you although you've been elected by the Australian people into Parliament, you cannot exercise your right to sit in that parliamentary seat. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that extraordinary when you... the juxtaposition by the fact that you can be born in this country but can't stand for Parliament because you may have some theoretical right to citizenship from some other godforsaken place on the planet. But if you're elected by the Australian people to act as their representative, you cannot take your seat in Parliament unless you swear allegiance to Queen Lizzie and her dysfunctional family. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano, and talk about dysfunctional. First of all, we've got Russia bogged down in a war in the Ukraine, mainly of the US's making, all right? Provocation after provocation after provocation. I make no excuses for Mr Putin or his disgusting, nasty, evil intervention in the Ukraine. But I know where I lay the blame at, and I know why Ukrainian people continue to die in their hundreds, if not thousands, or if not tens of thousands, including Russian soldiers. I know. Because of the provocative position taken with the USA, dragging along the European Union regarding Ukraine. And a lot of the Ukrainian people are now beginning to think, you know, it was interesting that there was a mandatory evacuation order for the, I think it was the area of Don, Donovets, sorry for the pronunciation, which has been overrun by the Russians. Why mandatory? Because a lot of Ukrainians just want to stay home. They just want to stay home. They're not in, interested in what's happening. I mean, what's happening, what's going to happen at the end of the war? You're going to have the same bureaucrats and the same um, people, um, you know, carrying on. And now we have... And now we have the leader of the uh, Democrats in Taiwan as a direct provocation to the Chinese. Does the USA have no shame? You know, if I spat in your face, you wouldn't be very happy with that. And after you, you know took the spittle off your face, you'd find some means by which to even the score. This is extraordinary. Here we have a war in Russia 
where people have been displaced by from their homes, men, women and children have been killed, tortured, killed indiscriminately. And then we have the USA been involved in provocation against the Chinese government. And let's not forget this provocation is on extensively, constantly, whether it's in the form of fleets you know, or uh, planes, it just the provocation goes on and on and on. But this is a direct provocation. What's all this about? And interestingly, on the same day, we hear that there are plans afoot to remodel the Australian Armed Forces. That's right, the Australian Armed Forces. Why are we as a people heading towards a war in this part of the world? Does anybody in Australia really understand what war means? All they've got to look at is what happened in North Australia in World War Two, And there was actually no direct invasion, but there was a lot of bombing. And today, the weapons that are used make those weapons look like, you know, kindergarten toys. Do we really want to be dragged, holeless, bolus, into this war between these two so-called superpowers? I'm, I don't want to be. Think about it. And voice to parliament. It's interesting. There's a spectrum of indigenous opinion regarding the voice to parliament. Now, I'll speak about that more next week. But obviously, the First Nations communities, just like the rest of us, there is a dif- difference of opinion amongst many people about what is important and what isn't important and what sh- people should be doing. So we'll speak about that tomorrow. But I do like the concept of a voice to parliament for one reason, because it's enshrined in the Australian Constitution. And that means that no one, no government, can actually dissolve that voice as they did before. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. If you live in the electorate of Mulgrave, which takes up Mulgrave and Springvale, I'd be very interested in listening and hearing from you. 0439 395 489. You can write to us. Yes, we answer letters once a week. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Uh, YouTube, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest by going to info at pipsy.net. You can join online. We couldn't make it any easier. Info at pipsy.net. You can go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. You can go to Facebook pages, Joseph Toscana, Toscana for the Public. Public housing, everybody's business. Defend and extend public housing. The list goes on and on and on. Sorry to bore you, but there's so many virtual things. I'm more interested in real things. See you at a real function in the very near future. Evil minds that plot destruction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord,
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.